0: This is Brian Burkhardt of Square Planet Presentations, and you're listening to the Sassholes Podcast with Jason, Jamie, and Pete. Gentlemen. So, welcome to
1: SAS Holes, a podcast uh, podcast dedicated to issues within the software as a service industry, SAS. Myself, Jason, and Pete have a combined over, we round up 100 years of experience because 100 yep. sounds great, of uh, a lot of mistakes, and we're happy to talk through all of them. Before we get started, uh, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, smash that like button on Facebook, Instagram, follow us on Twitter, engage with us on anything you want to talk about on LinkedIn, we're all available to talk about. Today, we have a very special guest, Brian Burkhart. Brian is the founder of Square Planet, and we're going to talk about sales presentations, but before we get through that, we have ad to pay for our pay the box. bills. We got to pay the bills. This episode was brought to you by NeuroNoodle. Uh, Hey, athletes, get a doodle of your noodle today, a brain map before you start the season, the summer season, that is now, uh, to get a baseline to compare if you ever have that really unfortunate incident of maybe a potential condition. Get a brain check before the season starts so you have something to compare to. Um, In Pete's case, um, he would see brain damage before and after, so it would be uh, just fine. Right? Visit NeuroNoodle today. Tell them uh, the Sassel sent you, you get 50% off. Uh, if you tell them I sent you, you're going to get charged more. And NeuroNoodle is a great service. So please use it for anything for your kids and your and yourself. If it can be measured, it can be trained. All right, now on to the unfortunate. Once again, please like us before we get in to start this. The joke of the day. Darnie. Yeah, Pete. Darnie. Yes, Pete. <laughs>
2: You know it's wedding season. But did you know why melons have weddings? No. They can't elope.
3: Oh,
2: no. <laughs> leave us some comments <laughs> on our blog at sassholes.net.
3: You know, Love being, cantaloupe by the your way. Jokes, Love jokes, fantastic melon. Your One jokes of my are like I would say the
1: same thing to you that your jokes do to the to the guy who invented the number zero. You gave me nothing. And on to the next one.
3: I, this competing joke <laughs> thing. I don't not, I know I like it, but I don't really understand. I mean we're we're well, trying to be
2: Marky Mark and Will, Will. Ferrell with and yeah. it's not it's not <laughs> happening. We're more it's like, not happening. I just mark like right. mark. That's yeah. what I'm talking more Marky
1: Mark and you're Will Ferrell. Hey, go say hi. To, say hi to your mother for me. All right, now some shout outs.
2: Hey, NeuroNoodle technician Brian Murphy just graduated from Northwestern with a degree in neuroscience. How about
1: that? You know, I saw it, and his dad is the COO of Navy Pier. And my previous shout out, I think I gave it to him, was Arnie Rivera, who became the chief equity officer at um, Navy Pier. So I got to put those two. They, I'm sure they've met, but um, I've met Brian Murphy. He's a good kid.
2: Do you have anybody you like to embarrass?
1: Oh, I've got plenty I'd like to embarrass. Uh, Jennifer uh, Garbacuda just started a job at uh, Digital Creative Operations at Epsilon, so I'd like to give her a shout out.
2: Dennis Stohaney, CFO at Hickory Farms.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm. You know what Hickory Farms is there, Carney? We should get some sausage over here. Yeah,
1: Hickory Farms, it's like, yeah. They do, like, of, do they do like? Do they do the cheese works here. or something like that? Don't they put the cheese infused? They got the, the bread, bread the
2: cookies, the cheese, the sausage,
1: the sausage. Yeah. yeah, I think I think I've had some cheese infused sausage. Which, why? Right? I think I had a lot of if infused sausage. I mean, it was delicious, but at the same time, yeah. Did you really need to infuse it? You yes, know.
3: yes. If um, it can be done, they they make you know. They make big giant cars and you know airplanes that go. Um, why would you not put sauce- cheese in a sausage? It seems very basic and, and innovative.
1: Like, hey,
3: I like just- hey, I got a, I got a shout out, Brian
1: Murphy. So postal, uh, not postal. Uh, People AI. I, I want to give them a shout out. They they've been hitting me up. Brian Murphy. His name's Brian Murphy. Yes. Yeah, There's
2: another Brian. For, so two shout outs of two
1: people yeah i guess Jeffrey, they're both named yeah, murphy yeah. well i just yeah. i hang out with a lot of irish if you're not irish i don't really hang out with you
2: i guess yeah well you are the master of infused sausage he's a notre dame guy too <laughs> just ask what? him
1: yeah
2: all right any other shout outs we got uh yeah what? angelo angelo banano six years at yelp extortionist <laughs> <laughs> we'll All right, go, so, out of one really more one, one, one more brendan sweeney
3: yeah oh, they just got another uh, another yeah, round big time big time that Maybe.
2: thing is worth half a billy
3: yeah that's and that if you're just... listening if you're listening to this and you want a sales job you should be calling Pop menu yeah Sweeney, I should have sure.
2: listened to you. Oh my god, half a Billy. <laughs> yeah.
3: Monet. Yeah, call Brendan. Call Tony. Call those guys. Monet now, today. And, and I
2: don't mean I don't mean the artist either. Okay. Any more shout outs, guys? No. Now you stole okay. me. Oh, oh, you got Sweeney? Yeah. Oh, we'll it that out in post too. So <laughs> So, uh, Jason, you brought a guest on which we did not introduce at the beginning of the show because somebody doesn't know how to read a script. Would you like to right. introduce our guest? I did introduce. I don't think uh, so. I would I love
3: think. to. I, I would love to introduce uh, my friend Brian Burkhart. I will let him, though, introduce himself because he does a, a great job of that. But um, I don't know back. whether Brian will tell the back the backstory of of how we know each other but we went to college together and Lived across the street from each other for uh, for a decent period of time, three three years probably. So, Brian, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us who you are, what you do, why you do it.
0: Gentlemen, I, I might just sit back and watch. This is something. You guys are just kind of a thing here. This yeah, is like it's a, clockwork.
3: It's like a, a clockwork. well-oiled
0: machine is what this is. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, like the Tokyo Olympic Games, they are going to be run as smoothly as this intro section. I, I mean, I feel – and probably <laughs> – led by a guy named named Brian Murphy. Clearly Brian Murphy's gotta be a Murphy. <laughs> yeah, gotta be Brian Murphy. Uh, sincerely, it's really great to be with you. My name is Brian Burkhardt. I am the founder and CEO of Square Planet Presentations. At Square Planet, we believe in elevating people. Elevating people. That's our core belief. Everything we do, every action we take, everything is focused on helping individuals, teams, and enterprises step up their game. And that really revolves around the notion of business communications. Unfortunately, perhaps proven by the beginning of this podcast, business communications is essentially broken. And so our (laughs) job is to make some waves. I'm out here in the hot, hot, scorching sun of Phoenix, Arizona. There is no water. The waves that we make are not of the aquatic variety. They are about breaking from tradition and finding new creative ways to help people get their messages out with impact. We've been doing this a long time, have been uh, very fortunate to work with some incredible people at everything from C-suites of some of the biggest brands on the planet to a whole bunch of founders. Uh, I've had the great fortune of being associated with some incredible institutions like Jason's Graduate School, uh, Northwestern. Uh, You know, I'm I'm not gonna make too much fun of the Salukis and Marquette and Notre Dame. I'll, I'll get there eventually. But us students well, uh,
1: does his the homework. The go right ahead, but you uh, can't are, on the Marquette and the Notre Dame. You know,
0: you uh, guys can try to, to make fun together. of that, but we just ignore it. <laughs> we know where we stand. It's top. So, needless to say, excited to talk to you guys about the state of sales, specifically with SaaS organizations. We spend a tremendous time amount of time working with salespeople, the teams, and the enterprise level organizations to get their message right because it's complex and difficult and so our job is to make it more compelling and interesting and anyway you slice it they should just be listening to you guys. So I got a question well, for you to start out. And I- I'm sorry
1: I'm jumping on this but I do have a question okay. because I was I was looking at some of the stuff. You guys focus mainly on external communication but what about internal communication? Do you guys handle a lot of that because I feel like internal communication of medium sized to large companies is just
0: completely messed up. I would actually say, Jamie, that we really do it the exact opposite. Oh, all right. Yeah.
1: 80%
0: 80 of what we do seems to be internal. Um, That said, sales leaders, you guys get this. Often you are responsible for that internal message to the troops, but certainly external to potential clients and the existing client base. And so it can take both sides of that same coin. But it seems like when we work on projects, the original beginnings always are more internally focused interesting yeah you know it's,
3: it's interesting brian about that is, is in my role as a marketer we tend to spend a lot of time on you know with with product launch or something like that most of the stuff that we do is intended to train the internal teams around here's what's happening here's the message here's why you should care here's why it'll help the client. Here's, you know, in, in many cases, here's why it'll help you make more money if you're in sales or whatever the case may be. And then a lot of that gets repurposed externally. Um, so, so the stuff that we're doing, is we're, we're trying to serve, serve both um, constituencies a little bit. Do you, do you find that or do you find like, Hey, Brian, come in, we're there's a huge organ. You know, i work pretty small companies, huge organization help us get this message out. How do people typically come to you and hire you and what do they say their problems are?
0: Those are great questions, Jason. It's a little bit of all the above, frankly. The problem is often uh, complex. It can start with internal teams that should be called the sales prevention departments, because there's a lot of that. Mm
3: -hmm. There are a
0: lot of internal things, constraints that can really slow the role of a sales team, whether it's a SDR internal team or field reps. They're often really held back. And so their leaders will come to us and say, can you help break through the clutter. And sometimes we've got to knock down some internal walls and get ourselves in trouble, but that's the nature of the beast. Um, I would say most frequently, it seems though that the work that I end up doing starts at a C-suite kind of level. Think like CEO founder level who will work with it on some kind of one-on-one type of project. And then very quickly they'll say, "Ooh, there's something here. Can you help X, Y, and Z? And then that leads to some additional stuff. The thing that never ceases to amaze me, ever, is the lack of congruence between inside and outside from both messaging, uh, core storylines, even the beliefs of the institution are often not known or at least well translated from group to group. There's just a lot of missed neural connections, if you will. And even if it's a relatively small organization, that happens with a lot of frequency. And so our job is often to try to get people on the same page and to give people permission to do things in a way that they haven't done before. Um, I guess what I would tell you is that I'm thinking through some of the projects I'm currently working on. I use the word permission a lot. We give, whether it's individual reps or full-on teams and definitely uh, C-suite leaders, permission to talk and do and be in a way that they haven't done before with the core idea of, Actually, engaging an audience and whether the audience is internal or outside, you know, this we're, we're inundated with messages, so why not make it stick? And giving people permission to look at things through a new lens is a big part of what we do.
3: If we back up and in, into that comment, did you just basically say that companies teach their different sales teams different things? Yeah, so you got an inside sales team or SDRs or enterprise a field aes whatever you call them and they're all getting different messaging and so it doesn't align is that what you just said
0: i would say that's a perfect way of taking my crap words and making them better great for a professional communicator i nailed that jason Um, (laughs) yes
3: i'm just trying to make sure pete understands that's all i'm doing that's (laughs) all i'm here for you gotta dumb everything down (laughs) down.
0: (laughs) really what i'm really saying is and i think you guys will know what i mean is that the vast majority of both organizations and certainly the individuals within those organizations don't have a freaking clue what the company, what the entity stands for. And so individuals, let's call them sales reps, inside, outside, doesn't matter. They're going to be inundated with product features, benefits, product knowledge, you name it. And that's great. That's important. Don't, no doubt about it. We've got to know those things. But at the core We need to know what the firm stands for. When you guys asked me to do an intro, the first thing I said is we exist to elevate people. I didn't tell you what we do or how we do it. I told you why. And if that's enough, that's enough typically to really move the needle to the next level where we then get to, well, tell me more about the product. How's it work? What's it cost, et cetera. But most entities never, never get those core beliefs out first.
2: Sounds like he's in the elevator business.
0: We've had some really bad elevator pitches on this show. Well, you know, that is a huge part of our work. I've been really fortunate that that's been such a, bar, a big part of my world for a long time. Um, so, you know, we've had 10 teams on Shark Tank and I don't know how many billions of dollars of startups have gone through us on their uh, pitch. Uh, we continue to prove our worth though. Just last week, we've been doing some work with IIT, Illinois Institute of Technology, bunch Of different teams, and one of the teams that we coached won, they got the big prize and the whole thing. So, when it comes to pitch, it's a big part of it. So, how'd you get started doing this? I'm going to guess, Jason, that it's not too dissimilar from how you got started when I was in fifth grade. I <laughs> you ran were in for,
3: sales <laughs> yeah, pretty
0: much, yeah. I ran for student council president of Oak Ridge uh-huh. Elementary uh, School out in the southwest suburbs of Chicago, and uh-huh. it was one of those kind of things where I can remember being 10 years old, literally, and being little. And walking up to the lectern and there was a big gooseneck mic and I pull that mic down and it kind of squealed throughout the auditorium. And I was never going to be the greatest athlete or the best looking or some amazing artist or the highest IQ points. But in that moment as a 10 year old, I recognized the power of communication. And so right then and there, that was a really tangible, formative moment in my life that set me on an instant trajectory towards communication and then things like while getting an amazing education at Indiana University Hoosiers a communications major, and I worked at Disney. I went to Disney University and worked down at Disney World and I did things like uh, I was a game show host at, hot, at the, the Hot Hamburger Game Show at Hamburger University for McDonald's, all kinds of craziness. So I've been at this a long time, but it really started at a very early age.
3: You're talking a lot about communication and a way of life and, you know, schooling, ed- formal education and all that. When you work with companies, how do you help them tie the quality of their communication to value or to revenue? I think that's really challenging for the c C-suite to understand. So how do you help them do that?
0: Well, it is probably the million dollar question. And it really comes down to, creating enough empirical evidence to showcase that the work that we did actually made a tangible difference to the bottom line. And some of it is a a bit loose, admittedly. Um, I can give you examples of things like we did some work for Transamerica a few years ago, their retirement division, worked on building out an entire new story for their entire sales team, coached all 200 plus sales reps, and year over year revenue increased by 4 billion with a B. That's real. And so having a few of those pieces of evidence to showcase our work go a very long way. There's also one other part, and it's sort of the inherent feel. One of the things that we hear all the time, whether it's individual reps or the teams, or even at an organizational level, is things like I can't find the right words, or I don't really connect with the sales message as it's currently constituted. Or I'm not really a creative person and I know I need to tell more stories. I'm not sure how to do that. Mm -hmm. And so when we hear that kind of feedback, when we can provide those solutions, it's often a felt sense of, oh, this is way better. And that happens pretty quickly. And so sometimes it's not as easy to go one-to-one our cost to their bottom line value, but there is a direct emotional connection, which gives people confidence and levels their uh, set to a much higher plane. And it's pretty real at an emotional set
3: when you go into a company, how much time do you spend setting up that measurement part of it, right? So I'm sure you've got like sort of two, two parts. Help me understand what your problem is and how what you think you can do to solve that. And then how we are gonna measure it? I mean, are those pretty equal? Do you get, you know, is the sales ops team involved in that? Like how's all that measurement come together?
0: Every project is honestly different. Sometimes it's just one person that we'll be working with, uh, like a CEO. Other times it's the whole sales team. Uh, Often it's the sales leader who then translates the work we do down to his or her sales team. So it's really a a tough question to answer because every unique case is just that, unique. That said, a big part of every equation when we are in even the proposal phase is we have a, a very candid conversation of what does success look like in your mind when we're all done? And I think we just try to get on the same page, get aligned about what the outcomes should be and when we do that we're pretty good there have certainly been some mistakes along the way we have had some misses where we didn't do a great job up front of making clear what alignment would be and at the end maybe the value wasn't as perceived as highly as I would choose that's on me and I've learned as I've been at this, I mean I've been at this a long time now I'm couple, you know a couple decades in as a business owner and so I have certainly learned from my mistakes but I'll tell you, it never, it never goes too far off my radar of making sure that our value is very clearly codified, really, before we begin.
1: Isn't there but a component you... that's, when communication is out there, I, I always feel like there's two components. One, the storytelling. I need to be able to convey the message I want out there. That's a huge component. But then also in organizations, there's also that political climate. I need to communicate it to the right people at the right time and build up groundswell before I just lay this bomb on, on the overall, if it's going to be a pivotal change. Right. So I would imagine there's two components and you're probably coaching through both of those components. Like how do we not only tell the story, but then how do we strategically communicate this so that it's not, you know, it doesn't come across like you did something wrong. You don't know any better.
0: There are lots of components, Jamie. And I would tell you, it seems like um, more often than not, we get called in in two main scenarios. They are, we are killing it. We're running as fast as we can. And we're feeling like we're losing control of things. People have gone rogue. Can you help? That's one. The other is we're in deep trouble. Things aren't going well. People are going rogue. Can you help? And either one of those scenarios is of course filled in by a million others. But in those two key uh, likely scenarios that I just described, Not only is getting the story super important, but absolutely knowing when, how, and who to deploy it is a big part of the equation. Even things like um, sticking in sales for a second. Should you do a new sort of sales strategy? Should you launch that at things like a sales kickoff? Maybe not. Maybe you're coming off of a great year and the momentum is so strong, you wanna keep going and keep things as the status quo. It, It really depends. So every unique case, requires us to rethink both the message and the strategy. The one thing that I can tell you is we always fall back on core beliefs and some simple examples, and this will make sense, I promise. It's uh, silly, I know, but if you think about it, even a, a, a very simple consumer product like a Jimmy John's sub, they are never gonna break from the notion that they are freaky fast. At no point does Jimmy John's go to the world and say, we're the best sub sandwich by taste. We don't have the highest quality ingredients. This is not the most expensive, amazing sandwich. It's also not the worst. These aren't the worst ingredients either. It's not the cheapest, it's not the most expensive, it's the fastest. And so once we know the core beliefs of the organization, we can bob and weave about when and how to deploy that proper story, knowing that that core belief guides everything. It's actually based in psychology. It's called cognitive psychology theory and it tells us that our beliefs lead to our actions. If you believe your body is your temple, you're going to work out. If you don't, you're going to drink and eat like a crazy person. And so knowing the core beliefs, which is a big deal, helps us lead to the right actions. That's a so, long twisted tale. Yeah, Sorry about that.
3: It's so, funny you bring you up do? Jimmy John's because I, uh, I was at a friend's house over the weekend. Uh, their son works at a Jimmy John's. Got like the whole Donner's Grove North cross country team working at the Jimmy John's. So Think about how Sounds fast
0: like a... and endurance that team is. Yeah, they're going to have a lot of exactly. endurance. They can deliver outside of their They should get the track area. team
1: to adhere to their, uh, not the cross-country yeah. team, but the sprinters. You get... Freaky fast. Yeah, freaky fast and all you will know, we'll race you for it. My, my, my follow-up sort of that is where we work together. It's funny. One of the things you said is some people would go rogue because it's not going well, and some people are going rogue because it's going too fast. The weird thing is that that company... That probably happened at the same time in different companies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where one, company's, one side's just making things up and the other side's making things up to try to save business. One's making things up to try to win business. Candor, that was the one thing that was—it gets thrown around a lot. I think everyone says, oh, I'm so candid, I'm so candid, I'm so candid. Uh, what is your definition of candid? What, what What is a healthy way of being direct?
0: What a spectacular question. Uh, See, I have not been asked that one before. So you got me. <laughs> You know, I think the thing is, let's use some synonyms, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Candor can be described as being authentic. It can be described as being truthful, direct, pick some words. Uh, All of those things have a time and a place. The thing for me about it, and I've found this to be true, uh, both as certainly a business owner, but as someone who coaches C-suite executives and founders, the truth is a big, powerful thing. And more often than not, uh, I have pushed people To be more truthful, to be more direct, to be more fully candid about what's going on. I can tell you that in our business, uh, it has been a huge part of the equation, even so much so, I'll give you an example. Uh, In 2020, when the crap was gonna hit the fan with COVID, we saw it coming. It was big time in Europe, and I'd been down this road before. A huge part of the work that we do revolves around meetings and events. And I quickly saw that we were gonna, and it ultimately happened, we lost about $10 million in contracts in roughly two weeks. I saw it coming. And so I said to my team of writers, designers, that kind of thing, gang, we're gonna be in deep doo-doo fast. I love you, I care about you. You need to get your resumes right now working. That's a really candid thing to hear from the guy that signs their checks, but it was done from a place of authentic love and care and respect for them. We wanna elevate people, not tear them down. And so if you know the things that you stand for, if you know your core beliefs, it's really easy to act. And it's one of those kind of things where candor can certainly live in that environment in a really profoundly important way. The thing for me with some of the best leaders that I've worked with, and I'm talking like Amazon and Coca-Cola, Google, Citibank, Northern Trust, these are the kind of brands we work with. Plus lots of really small uh, shops you've never heard of, those m- new and even middle tier firms that no one's ever heard of. Those really good leaders, the ones that really get it, they have no problem with candor. They understand that their authentic selves are on display every day. And the more truthful they are in every aspect of their world, the better they are at their worst times. Uh, I think COVID has sh- certainly shined a light on the worst of us. We, we see our true selves at the worst of times, not the, at the best of times. And uh, for me, I'm intrigued by working with leaders that understand that and are willing to be more candid To answer your question fully though, Jamie, I think people hold back. I don't think they do the best job they could. And there's lots of reasons why I get it. Um, I think about even stuff like my marriage. I've been married 16 years and I try to always be candid. I try to always give full truth, uh, full information, but sometimes it's hard. You're afraid of the blowback. And so we kind of react in different ways. I don't think it's any different in business
2: you can't say anything to anybody these days, you know, yeah, you're going to sure offend somebody. So it's, you know, I can't keep up with the politically correct stuff. So, you know what, you know, the, the corporate world, I hear you, man, keep, keep it rolling. What I can tell you about candor, candor is if you take the R out, you can do, we market this show. You like that, Carney? I do. That was good. <laughs> that was we, we market this show to look, we got a lot of experience. So what, we elevate people by saying, hey, we've been around a long time and screwed up quite a bit. Don't do that. Don't do what we did. We have a lot of new leaders and a lot of new reps that come onto the show. You are the master of presentations. What are some of the rookie mistakes that you see out there that uh, first-time reps put out there? Data dump, uh, regurgitation. What do you see out there? What's the one thing that we could help the new salespeople out there by listening to you on the show?
0: Love this question. Here's what I would tell you, Pete. Number one, any and all mistake that you have either witnessed or perhaps perpetrated really can be baked into one single word. And that word is selfishness. If you have sat through or worse yet, delivered a presentation that was just straight up painful, it's because you were selfish. And I want you to consider if you've been on an airplane ever and you tried to bring your bag on with you, and you walk to your seat and you get there, even if you're like the group one kind of dude, and you get there and all of a sudden above your seat, there is no space, you are pissed. And when it's time to deplane, you see the dude on the other side of the aisle who's got three bags and had none by their feet, you wanna kill that person. That selfish human being is one that we wanna throw into oncoming traffic, right? And so we don't like selfishness. It just is inherently yucky. And if you think about it from a presentation standpoint, When people go long, if you were given 30 minutes and you take 32, if you put slides up where you say things like, if you could see what this says, I mean, right then and there, you admittedly are doing something that you know will not benefit the audience. If you don't engage, if you don't use parallel narratives, which are basically stories to help make things more interesting, dynamic, and fully clear, you're doing a variety of things that are selfish. And it lists, the list goes on and on and on and on but number one is remember that it is not about you. The root of the word presentation is present as in happy birthday, Merry Christmas. You're giving a gift. You have to give. And when you fail to do that, when you go fully selfish, it will likely never work out in your favor. That said, it's so common. The bar is so remarkably low that we've been lulled into thinking that that's okay. And it's not. What's interesting is it happens all the time. You guys have seen people give a presentation and you're like, man, that was amazing. It, we see people and they really stand out in the marketplace when people are the exact opposite, when they give, when they're fully prepared, when they've done their homework at a really high level. When that happens, man, do we notice. And so I would tell rookies, don't be selfish. The last thing is, Pete, I would ask you to consider your comments from just a few moments ago neuroplasticity, the ability to change, to be open to new ideas, that's also a big part of it. When you said you couldn't keep up with all this stuff, sure you could. You are a bright, capable guy. You are adding self-doubt and limiting beliefs just by your own choice of words. You are fully capable of making change and keeping up with whatever has to be kept up with. And so I would tell rookies and older vets, don't live in yourself. You got mad skills.
2: self deprecation be careful with that
1: I feel like we just did some therapy results here I yeah, don't know really high quality somebody did their homework holy cow wait <laughs> would you say self deprecating What you, you said be careful oh, I would say as a way to sort of if you're experienced stuck in inexperienced, I always tend to self deprecate myself to you know make sure people know that I'm
0: an idiot just like they are um, that's different
2: yeah, that's right? true. It's two
0: different things Self-deprecating, especially self-deprecating humor is a great way to connect. It can create Mm -hmm. a little bit more conviction in the sales prospect situation. But what Pete did was basically say, I'm incapable. That's different than sort of making fun of himself. Um, And I don't like when people create limits to their own skills and perhaps abilities to do new things. I mean, Pete, you, you got chops, man. And for you to sit here and say, I can't do that.
1: You haven't seen me in a meeting. (laughs) You have not. It is is quite awesome to see.
0: You don't spend three decades doing what you did at places like achieve the kind of success you achieved, start your own business, coach people the way you do by being a chump. And so I'm putting two and two together. I I admit you are wildly capable.
2: I will agree with you. I am not a chump. The difference between champ and
1: chump is you. Jeez, uh, he's got all of these by the
3: way really he yeah, does he's geez. got a whole pocket full
0: you know what happens so, when you assume though pete tell
2: me <laughs> i'm not kidding that softball mm-hmm. all i'm saying Please. is if you're a new newbie and you do a presentation and you didn't rehearse it beforehand and you turn around and read the screen that would be check selfish. out gone yep. yeah yep.
1: that would be selfish right mm-hmm. so, what about so Brian... uh, was there a formula that you could give these kids Like, hey, if you're going to present for the first time, here, it's not the all or nothing. Here's a little bit of a formula that you try to tell people they adhere to.
0: Yeah, this gets really complex, but I will try to make this super simple. Uh, The easiest thing I can tell people, especially those that are brand new, but absolutely, I don't care if you're a grizzled old gray-haired vet this works, it actually goes back to the ancient Greeks. I'm talking like Aristotle, Plato, Socrates. They talked about how humans learn through the notion of ethos, pathos, and logos. It's basically brain, heart, and gut. And the way to do that in today's words and ideas is to essentially answer three questions. And so I tell people get analog, whether it's a yellow pad, a whiteboard, whatever it is, turn off your damn computer and PowerPoint first and foremost. Get pieces of paper or whiteboards and start answering three questions that are analogous to ethos, pathos, and logos. And those questions are, what do you want the audience to know? That's with a K. What do you want them to feel? And then what do you want them to do? Know, feel, and do. The do is typically easy, especially in sales. We know that we want to either have them sign the contract, go to the next part of the process, whatever it is. Do is easy. Feel is the emotional con- connection. And this is the part that's often left out. No, again, with a K, this is all the logical argument. That's the easy stuff. That's what the white paper PDF or the brochure or the website, that's what that's all about. And so all you really have to do is find the right balance of no feel and do. It does not need to be equal thirds. You just need to have all three. What's interesting is the vast majority of people who do even things like inside sales, have never even thought about this. they they start dialing without even knowing what they want the prospect to do. They're just going through the script. They're not mindful of it. And so if you can answer those three questions really well in advance, you are going to be so far more prepared and able than your peers. And it just takes a matter of time and intentionality. But once you do it, you did it and it's done, but people just don't take the time to do it. I mean, to add to that, know and do is not what a sales
1: rep is there for. A sales rep is to do the feel. Yeah. Because no and deal, do is what Jason and marketing and e-commerce is there for, is the know and do. If we only need a know and do, then we don't need a sales rep. Oh. That is well said. Ethos,
2: pathos, yeah,
0: logos. Oh my good. Hold on, Ferrara. I yeah, Pete says that. that all the time. <laughs> well, Aristotle, we talk, man. Pete sent me some money. He said, I need you to work. eat those pathos. <laughs> totally.
2: But for those newbies out there, I mean, it's important. Think of it like a slot machine, okay? If you're going to persuade somebody, Aristotle said, hey, man, ethos, you got to be likable, so don't be a tool. Logos, logic, okay, have a reason for your argument. You can control those two things. The third one, you can't. Pathos, I look at that as the mindset of the individual that you're talking to. In order to persuade somebody, it's like a slot machine, cherry, cherry, cherry. You need those three things to line up in order to persuade someone to your point of view. So I'm uh, all on board, man, Brian, that, board. that's
0: awesome. Here's I'm what Pete bored. did too, gang, is he told us a story. And Plato said, those who tell the stories rule society. And so even things like using that parallel narrative of a slot machine, it keeps the audience engaged. The neurons fire more. And so we can make fun all day about the ancient Greeks doing their thing, but there it was, loud and proud, in charge, in real life.
3: Yeah. Hey Jamie, I wanted to uh, piggyback on something you said uh, around, you know, marketing's there to 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 build out the know and the do, and and sales team works on the feel, and I agree with that. But I would also say that the most successful salespeople are super entrenched in the know and do. Also, where they tell a story about the know and the do, right, and that burnishes. Message with that buyer, and and to me, those, that's what I think the best the best salespeople I know they're they're the ones who come to me and say, "Help me understand one more time about what this means. Help me should should we really say it this way, or can I try to say it some other way?" Like those those reps that do that are actually thinking through in their head how do I help people understand it at a at a deeper level too. The prospect is going out there doing all sorts of education. And it's that like moment of truth with the rep that I think the best ones, they hit all three of those. I, so i
1: totally agree. With happy as
3: a marketing. So I important.
1: totally agree with what you're saying. I think some of the reps get caught too much in the know, meaning they get too much yeah. into the features and they want to know every single feature. And it's like, guys, those little features are bells and whistles. They don't really yeah. perform the way you think they do. That's right. Um, But I I do think they need
0: to know the no and the do. I just think reps are paid for the feel. Here's what I would tell you about that, gentlemen, is that the best always seem to get better. I mean, for real, look at all the organizations that you've been with. There's a certain number of salespeople who probably hit quota every year and end up on the free trip to Turks and Caicos. It's always the same guys or girls that are always at the top. And of course, there's a few newbies, but the way it works typically is the best seem to get better. I believe you're both right, but in my experience, working with a lot of individual sales reps, those that really deeply are students of the game and focus on truly understanding all three components of no feel, and do, those are the ones that crush quota. Those are the ones getting the free trip. Those are the people on stage at the end of the year at the awards ceremony. They care. They do the work and they put the time in. And I think as much as anything, you're talking about newbies, what we can teach them is you gotta work. I mean, there's just no handouts here. It's a choice. It's a choice you get to make. And all too frequently, there's a, I mean, even Salesforce will tell us, 70% of salespeople across all verticals fail to hit quota. That's a lot of failure. And so it's just a matter of being an active participant in your own success.
3: Are you called in to do a lot of, to rework a lot of sales training, or are you more called in for because sales training is a very specific thing, right? So or are you called in to help with the overall? I mean, they fit together. I just don't know how that I call you and I say, gosh, I've got this issue.
1: Or board <laughs> communication to the board, right? Yeah, yeah that too. I have weekly and monthly stipulations that we have to adhere to to the board and it's constant.
0: I would say that I never, ever, never, never, never say that I'm a sales trainer. It's a very different model and role altogether. That said, we have uh, great relationships with some of the best sales trainers on the planet because the messages have to be deployed the right way. And so it's certainly one of those kind of things where we will build the right storylines, put all the work together on the narrative, and then help people deliver it more effectively. And in many ways, it has nothing to do with sales. Uh, it can often be things like it's internal and it can feel like sales. If you're talking to your board and you need to release funds or change the structure of the entity, in some ways that is sales. It's even things like the work that we do. I always say this to people. Uh, if you're trying to get a job, like even the way you do a job interview, you're selling yourself. And so the work really is at its core, always the same, the structure, the ideas, same, the creative changes, obviously, but yep. uh, it, it's all in some regard, sales, even if it's not sales.
3: Yeah, No, that's a good point. That's a good point.
0: The thing that's interesting about all this stuff, and I think that why, why I was so excited to talk to the three of you today, is this just so much that's done wrong. And it's almost societal. It's the kind of thing where, how many times have you heard people say things like, well, I'm working on my deck. I'm not talking about the thing at the back of their house. Uh, They look at sales and or their story or their ability to put together words as let me put slides together. Well, it's not the same. PowerPoint came out in 1980. It's not that long ago that it wasn't even an option. And so we have really gotten lazy in our skills to be definitely full of words that are easily understood, clarity our ability to have conviction around our goods and services, our ability to connect, those things have gone up in smoke. And in many ways, it's a choice, like I had said earlier, but technology is not the problem. It's the human being saying, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. be lazy.
1: I, said, I think one of the most Im-
0: impressive
1: presentations that you can do to a group of people is when it's you and a whiteboard. Get rid of the PowerPoint and do you and a whiteboard. And Pete, I'll give you some credit, I've seen you do it. You and a whiteboard, I think that's, that's more more intimate, more powerful and you're not, you're not hung to an organizational like sort of slide projection. I, I currently am working on slides
0: probably all the time. It drives me crazy. There's um, science on this, Jamie. You are a very wise man, believe it or not. The neural firing rate is exponentially higher when we watch someone whiteboard in real time. Even if it's a video, you can do it in video And still, our neurons are firing at a greater rate. We are more engaged. Um, Maybe my favorite story along this line, I was doing a keynote presentation to about 500 people at United Airlines. Um, I remember this very, very well. It was the day after the election when Trump won. So I'm in Chicago, freezing, saying, this is why I left. I want to go back to Arizona. It was cold. And I'm doing this presentation. And I, I always say this when I do keynotes. Um, I would rather have a dialogue versus a monologue. And so by all means, interrupt, raise your hand, shout out a question, bring it on. And so I'm about 15 minutes in and these two ladies who are two thirds of the way back sitting side by side, clearly they were designers because they just got all over me about the idea about how slides are the most important thing and they're yelling and yelling. And I had a wireless mic on. And so as they're kind of barking at me and it was playful, but yet they were serious. I'm walking towards the back of the room where all the tech AV stuff is. And um, I basically said, all right, ladies, here's the deal. I'm gonna prove to you that I don't need slides. If I'm not effective at the end of my 60 minutes, 45 minutes from now, then say so. But if I am effective, if I know my material, if I can elicit some emotion and I can finally make you do something, if I'm effective, then say that. And like Liberace with a grand flare, I rip the cord out of the computer, the screens go black. And for the next forty-five minutes, I was slideless. Now, I do a know, presentation company. We've got designers who do this stuff for a living, but it's about content and delivery first, and not by a little, but by a lot. And at the end of those forty-five minutes of slideless presentation fun, they admitted, of course, that it, you know it was pretty good, and I got a big round of applause and the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, not a dry eye in the house. I bet.
3: Yeah,
0: it was fun. Yeah, it <laughs> uh-huh. was
3: cool. Uh huh. All right, it's cool.
2: So what competition did they go to? Another bad joke. <laughs> Brian, can you, can you recommend somebody half as good as you to come on the show next?
0: What do you want them to talk about? Let's get a little bit more specific, Pete.
2: Well, somebody you've met along the way, you've presented to a bunch of different types of companies. We have a bunch of new sales leaders, a bunch of new reps, different verticals, different backgrounds, any sales leaders, any business owners you think, or other Uh, people in your line of work that you you could recommend?
0: I've got a bunch for you. Uh, Three that come to mind. I'll be quick. One is Dan Patak, Chicago-based, founder of Jumpseat. Unbelievable uh, series of essentially workbooks, a structure for marketing and sales. He's an incredible human being. So Dan Patak is number one. Number two would be out of Portland, Oregon, Miss Casey Jones. She is all about mindset, getting your mind in the right way and understanding motivations of buying and people's behaviors and social media. She's amazing. And then third and finally, we have my pal, Walker McKay in Columbia, South Carolina, who runs No BS Sales. He is a sales trainer, uh, has been at it a long time. All three great human beings, awesome interviews, but more than anything else, just high quality people of integrity.
2: We need more of that on this show. Absolutely.
0: Oh, have a lot
1: of that. Well, hey, our time is coming up, so thank you so much, Brian, for for joining us today on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, once again, awesome. I think they can they can uh, reach out to you through LinkedIn or go to um uh, squareplanet.com.
0: Square I will Pinterest. tell you that. Are
1: yeah. you a round earther? Are you a
0: flat right. flat flat Earth? Right? It's definitely not a flat earther, Jamie. It is <laughs> round, people. <laughs> it, it's, it's, the science is pretty well. Gravity made. doesn't <laughs> make any <laughs> sense if it's not flat Earth. It's it round. Is. <laughs> um Is it okay? Can I ask permission from you guys for something? Can I call yeah. myself a sasshole today?
1: You sure can. Oh, yeah. You, you are, you
2: are. a sasshole. Genuine sasshole. <laughs> yeah, and you know where you're from? Uranus.
1: <laughs> Hello. Hey. Let it dead out, too. A
2: lot of editing going today.
1: <laughs> yeah, we have a lot 30, of bad dad script. jokes. All right, script. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Thanks for listening to our the Sassholes the Podcast on behalf of the This is what you have when you don't rehearse. See this? Pete. This is what we get. Oh, hold on. I was just gonna say cue the non copyrighted music.
2: Almost at one year. I know. Tip jar.
1: Hello. Hey. Hello. Hello. Basically, can hear us.
3: Yep. Um. A lot of How's people. That's the, well, the new year. the new year pretty good. It's busy. Um.
0: Gentlemen. Hey. There's Brian. How is everybody? How are you? good how are you i'm really good you know i appreciate you just noshing away jace you keep going brother lunch it yeah. up man <laughs> i always put some gum in. gum Old he gum. wants to
1: make sure his breath doesn't come through
0: i'm um, a gum guy yeah, it really. it
1: really helps the editing
0: i'm it sure does. It, you know mm-hmm. it's super clear i get it
3: yeah yeah i'm a well, gum guy
0: I feel like we're kind of hitting some quality geography here. We've got a little Texas, a couple of Chicago, a little AZ. We're rocking this. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. The yeah. whole thing. Triangulating the whole thing. Two time yeah. zones, though.
2: So how do you how do you live in 120 degree heat? Just curious.
0: You know, the truth of the matter is, it is certainly better than February in Chicago.
1: Truth. It I, really I would agree. It really Touché, is. Brother. A dry Touché. heat to me is <laughs> right <laughs> between the eyes. <laughs> Dry heat is much better than a cold winter.
0: I mean, Um, Pete, you got to trust me on this. Just come on down. You know, it's not that bad. Uh,
1: I heard, though, I saw somebody commented that the drought and the heat is going to make everyone that
0: moved from California
1: to Arizona move back.
0: Well, Jamie, you're right. Honestly, it's one of those things where we are – I don't have any kids. My wife and I have been kind of very actively going, what are we going to do? Because it's real, and it's the kind of thing where, I mean, we've got – I own my office building, we own our house, and so it's the kind of thing where you may want to cash out now before there's nothing available, you know, when people just aren't buying. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know. It's real. Mm,
3: mm, 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 mm. Yeah,
0: Didn't it rain same.
3: there for six weeks like it did here?
0: It hasn't rained in like two years, for real. Oh,
3: my God. I mean, we yeah, had a it's like little... the drought
1: is really bad right now. It's really bad.
3: It was raining so badly here. For like the month of may i honestly was getting a little mad at how much it was raining i didn't and, and of course now it's not going to rain till october right so i and guess what, thankfully it rained a lot four
0: or five years ago texas had a severe yeah. drought that everyone was freaking out about so you just yeah never, yeah
3: yeah you don't are you are, this, you, are, are you
0: conserving go. energy jason are you doing what they're telling everyone to do
3: oh we conserve like crazy yeah you're really yeah we're no I mean I I don't know I have no idea. I don't know there nobody's telling me to do anything. So I I have a compost Well, you're in Texas. Pile. I have a compost pile now. which is nice. Um, and let's see what else am I doing to conserve. I um I vigorously you ride a cattle recycle. to work. Yeah, I write, <laughs> exactly. I vigorously recycle. Um, vigorously. Vigorously. And I took a job out of town, so I don't have to commute there as much. So I'm not in my car every day. So I figure, you know, two airplane rides is probably less than every day driving to work.
0: You're essentially carbon neutral at this point. Exactly. And I'm here to you, offset that's right. you. My lack of children, I've got you.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I don't. Think that's fair. I got too many kids, so I just. Does my everybody. compost pile help
0: me in any way with the carbon? No, you Irish. No. The, it's the grid in Texas that's the problem. They're saying, you know, turn off all your devices and go natural. No more juice. Mm.
3: Yeah. Well, they have not yet told that to the um, homeowners association here, which does not allow for uh, solar anything. So. Well, why would that's you? That's not going to happen. I, who, who
0: Fossil can... fuels, more oil. That's right that's,
3: yeah. right. that's right. That's right. The that's bigger down down Texas. right. That's <laughs> right.
0: Okay.
2: All right, somebody grab the wheel of this boat. Well,
1: yeah, I mean, Jason, do you want to grab the wheel this time? No, you do an amazing job. I do an amazing. Oh, I'll no, wait a actually, actually, he doesn't. Um, <laughs> he gets mad all the time. Well, I think we start off. Pete breaks the script. I just rehearse. I don't even rehearse it. Um, you don't read it. I, Show
2: me the script.
1: Uh, Show me the script.
3: You can't. You know okay, that he can't. Yeah.
1: I just don't read it to bother you. All right. So I think at first we we like to start off with you saying, hey. Hi, this a is Brian
0: Workart with Square Planet. And we're Hi. listening to The Sassholes with Jamie, uh, Jason, and Pete. Something like that. Brian, Ooh, you know,
1: there we go. Brian you had a podcast you know, too. So you got this. You know, and he, trust the guy. See that little mic he's got right there? That means he <laughs> knows what he's doing. Yeah, he's, he's a little bit more professional. Hey, I've got a pretty nice mic. Or you can't even see it anymore. So. I don't, don't, don't. I don't, don't, yeah, don't. Do yeah, that. don't bring the zero video Wi-Fi. camera
3: lower than Probably. it needs to be.
1: Yeah. <laughs> across and do you life. have the cufflinks? Are you wearing cufflinks? I've got my orange Lego cufflinks. Look at weapon. that! You see, he loves his orange Lego cufflinks.
2: Nice. It's oh real. man. Snappy. All right, <laughs> Brian. We're we're going to be quiet now and let him do his <laughs> thing.
1: Me or Jamie? No, you go. You
0: go do that without us talking next time. time. Okay, you got it. So I'm just going to go right to the camera, and it's going to be something like this. Hi, this is Brian Burkhardt of Square Planet Presentations, and you're listening to the SASSholes Podcast with Jason, Jamie, and Pete. Gentlemen, hey, great thanks. Yeah, That's fantastic. awesome. Aren't you you seem
1: like you know what you're doing. Excellent, pro. We're some pointers. All right. Our, Which our I'm going to do that listeners. right now. Why don't we just cue the non-copyrighted music? Couldn't they go to
2: Facebook or Instagram? We already did that. All
1: right. We already did that. Literally. We're doing it do all the time. All right. No one all right. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Thanks, hey, the time. you time. I can't yeah. believe why we don't get more. You guys got to put this and show random.
0: on the road. This, you know, you should be a dream force and all the. I mean, you got to. <laughs> well, we should oh, be. Yeah. <laughs> we get banned great. everywhere. Camps of yeah, culture will come after us rage. for sure if, we're, if we have more listeners.
2: Us and Ch- and Chad and Cheese. It's yeah. sort of like
0: barstool sports means sass and the most beautiful. Hey, that is like what I Pete. Have.
1: Pete says, "I love all this time. guy. I love this guy." B, <laughs> mano a mano. Gotta have, right? We got one bite. Everybody, we'll do hot dogs. You, you know.
2: burgers. One bite. Uh, That's bur- burgers. We'll do the one bite
0: world. burger rule. He does the pizza. There you go. Yeah. You do like the hot ones where they have the wings that get incrementally hotter? Yeah. Uh, well, we
3: did that at work a couple of weeks ago, and it was... Everybody's stomach was upset. Like, an hour later, everybody was just in such pain. pain and everyone's... Why are we feel bad? Like, we feel bad because we basically ate 20 different kinds of hot sauce. <laughs> that's
0: why we feel bad. Yeah. yeah. We ate nuclear bombs, and it was Exactly. Awful. Exactly. And, an an and the they felt
1: bad probably the next day when it was coming out of it. it was not good. It was not it good.
0: What goes in has to come out. Same kind
3: exactly. of hole. Um, yeah. Exactly. Two Those exits, everybody
2: out. <laughs> All
1: right. Well thank you so much.
2: <laughs> Brian, <laughs> you're awesome, man. You're awesome. Well, Thanks, thank Brian. you,
0: gentlemen. I appreciate All this. right. I'm Perfect. You'll probably the, be fine later ed- today.
2: the fine production and editing team will be on this and uh should be out uh, by this afternoon.
1: Oh really? Yeah we, yeah, we don't. We don't. This is the, the worst fast. edited, produced no, show that there is. He puts no, his music no. on of his like band, you know. All right, great. All right, all right. Not oh, bad no, for an you. Indiana guy. Thank you. Oh, yeah, I'm a Chicago Thanks, guy. who
0: got. Wait, you know, are you a White Sox fan? You're from the southwest side. I, I am one of the few weird ones, Jamie. I am not anti-Cub. I actually had season tickets to both Sox and Cubs, worked for the Tribune when I first got out of school, who owned the Cubs at the time. That said, when they play head-to-head, go Sox.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm a Beverly
0: Southside Irish guy, so I got two favorite clubs. I was at Game 2 in 2005 against the Astros when the Sox won the World Series. Yeah, I think the
2: the internet's cutting out. (laughs)